Welcome back. I'm Kim Bailey. She's Fuliana Osborne and this is Inside Exec. Today we're going to have the Fuliana Challenge. We've got about 20 questions that have been sent in that we want to answer just briefly. Some of them we will probably develop at a later stage into case studies if they prove that the answers need a bit more development. But Fuliana's challenge today with the questions is to keep the answers brief. I've limited her to two sentences or less, so we'll just see how we go. <laughs> Our first question is... Should I be feared or respected as a senior leader? And the person who asked this felt that he had to make a choice between these two conditions, that he should either be feared as a senior manager or he should be respected as a senior manager. And I guess he meant by the people who are working or reporting to him. Okay. Sometimes you also add to that one being liked as well. So... To be respected or to be feared, I'm not one that ever subscribed to fear because nothing makes me fearful. So I think being... It's more like a challenge. <laughs> if you want her to be afraid of you, it's just throw down the gauntlet. <laughs> so if, if you're scared of your boss, for example, you're going to do things just so that to avoid making him or her angry. If you do it for that reason... You're going to be either cautious and won't take any risks. You go for the safe option and you'll end up doing what you think is expected of you and within certain rules and, and defines. But if you respect your boss and you respect that he or she respect you, if you've got that relationship, that is absolutely a better environment to work in because you feel like I can try that, I will get an honest appraisal of what I've done, I will get encouragement or I will get told that's a waste of time, whatever I get will be done with respect. So I respect my boss, I respect his or her judgment, I respect the relationship that we have and to me that is better for both parties and outcome. I think the most important part of that is the two-way respect and that we have to acknowledge that, that in this situation you're not looking for a one-way activity. The, the fear side of it is very destructive in any organisation and I think it comes back to our survival instinct. And so if you're working just to survive in that environment, you are not going to be giving your best to the, the job and the organisation's not going to benefit from having you there if you're just there to survive because you're fearful of the environment, the culture, whatever it is. So I guess our consensus is that we want respect, two-way respect, yeah. and perhaps a bit of liking in there as well. When you respect someone, you... No, can... you've had your two sentences. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, I'm done. Okay, next. <laughs> our next one is how do I speak confidently or positively about failures? This one might well be developed into a case study or further discussion. I think failures are one of the best things that happen to people, but not at the time. At the time, if you felt you, you did something and it didn't work out and you might feel like a failure, well, firstly, I think a better positive spin on that is to say, I had an experience that didn't work out the way, the outcome, the way I wanted it to, rather than... I failed, how dramatic. But the most important thing about failure, it's a great, great learning experience. It's a learning experience of what worked, what didn't work, and how can I do it differently. It's how you perceive your experience 
and how you communicate it, it, it affects the way you communicate it. So if you go and tell people, oh, I had this disaster, blah, 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 well, people are going to see you as a failure. If you go say, I had this experience, it was very unpleasant, it really was the worst time at the time, it was maybe even the worst time of my life. However, this is what I learned from it, or this is what I now I'm going to do differently. And I think it's not the experience, it's what you do with it that matters. And I'm the great believer in reframing. So rather than, as Fuliana said, you you on the negative side of things, oh, this didn't work and that didn't work, and it's about physiology. You know, even as I'm saying that, my shoulders are dropping down, mm. I'm talking more into my chest, but if you throw your shoulders back and if you put your head up and if you even always look at the ceiling and say, that wasn't so good. Then that's about as negative as you need to be. Reframe the situation into thinking about it from another perspective, not about what it meant to you or what effect it's had on you, but rather what, as, as we've said, what you've learned from it, what outcomes have been produced that have given you an opportunity to think a little bit differently, to move towards another solution. And celebrate, and I mean yeah. really celebrate the fact that you have learned not to do this thing, yeah. that this is not going to work. And don't pursue it on, on the hope that it will work at some stage. If you keep throwing money at it, if you keep throwing time at it, if you keep throwing effort at it, that somehow it's going to turn around. Just before we move on, I know I'm not allowed, but <laughs> I'm going to recommend to listen to a TED Talk by J.K. Rowling's, the writer of Harry Potter's books. She made a very, very good presentation on this and covered the fringe benefit of failure. If you have time, it's worth listening to. Now, our next question, how can I think on my feet in an unfamiliar location? And this came about as a result of an interview that uh, one of my people had and he came back and said, look, I've had this interview and they asked me this question and I was in an unfamiliar environment and I didn't really know how to respond. I, Although I prepared well for the interview and I knew all of the things that, that we needed to talk about, this was one question and it was I'll tell you they asked him at the interview to tell them a joke and he said I had no idea I didn't I didn't know what to think I didn't know I couldn't process how I needed to think to know what I needed to say I understood what they were asking me and I in some ways understood why they were asking me but I had no process for thinking on my feet in this unfamiliar location. I'm going to share with you something I learned and Kim probably won't remember this but she taught me this technique. <laughs> I'm like most people that when you put on the spot and they, somebody asks you something like tell us a joke which is really something you didn't expect at interview, you tend to jump in, I did, jump in and actually try to very fast go into the answer. While you're still thinking. While so you're, you're still, still thinking. thinking out loud. Yes. So what you taught me, Kim, was when way, way back in my career is there is nothing wrong with taking your time. It might seem the silence is long, but it isn't. And then you can actually tell them that you're thinking. So in this example, I would be able to say, well, let me have a think of one, because so many jokes, let me think of one that I think would be a good one. In that way, you're repositioning your, where you are, you're saying to your mind, now go to the filing cabinet where my jokes are, and you're breathing differently. So the first thing is slow down, take your time, 
take into account where you're at. So, okay, they asked me to tell a joke, but guess what? I'm in an interview situation. I'm not there in the pub. So I need to go to the appropriate section of my jokes. All of that takes time. <laughs> All of that takes time. So allow yourself the time to reposition. Tell your brain where you are and what you're looking for. And then breathe differently and speak after that. Such good advice, really. I, 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 can't, I can't top it. But I will say I do recommend that you acknowledge that they've asked you something that you need to think about and that you are going to think about it. So in this case, I would have suggested that he say, that's a question that has really put me off guard. So acknowledge that they've asked something that has caused a reaction and tell them what the reaction is. In any situation, that's going to give these people something to process as well. And then, as Bhutan said, you say, well, now I'm just going to go through the filing cabinet. I'm just going to think about these things. And if it was not, not this particular situation, then it's, I'm just going to have a think about what might be, what in my experience I can relate to this situation so that we can come up with a solution together, so that we can look at, at this from all angles and, and tell them what you're doing. Otherwise, they're not going to know. If you don't tell them what you're processing, they're going to fill the gap themselves by thinking, oh, he doesn't know what to say, he's got no idea, we've, we've stumped him, whatever it is. Don't let them decide what you're thinking. Tell them what you're thinking. Okay, next question. Is it possible to treat everyone as equal? And this was in on the basis of looking at if you're in a, a senior executive position or you're coming new into an organisation, into a senior executive position, and you walk through the, the corporate location for the first time, do you treat everyone that you interact with in the same way, given that you are theoretically in a position of prestige and seniority? I'm going to answer that in two levels and still stay brief, Kim. That's okay. It doesn't mean you get double the time. <laughs> yes, you, you would treat the CEO the same way of respect as a human being as you would treat the cleaner. Yeah, absolutely. No question about that. However, not everyone is it. In a working organisation, it isn't because everybody has different things. So I'm, I'm going to give one example, which is experience. So if we're talking about someone who is got just out of uni and just joined the organisation as a management associate, a trainee, whatever you want to call them, their opinion is very, very important because they've got fresh eyes. If you like, it's they knew and, and it's very, very powerful. But then you've got another person who's been there quite a long time and became a specialist in their field after many years. So in that sense, they're not equal, in, but they both got a lot to offer. So you do not dismiss one for the other, but you've got to recognize the difference between the two offering. And after all, if you look at your organization and if it's properly staffed, you will find everybody complements each other. So not equal, but they complement, they all have the same respect in a sense of a human being. It's the same to me as walking into a hospital and saying, they're all doctors, so they're all doctors, so they're all the same. Well, actually, no, they're not. Some have more years' experience, some have more specialisation, and for a kidney operation, you want to get someone who's been specialised in that, not someone who is... A brain surgeon. So really, they both got their respects and importance, but they both got different things to offer. Again, we know we differentiate between people because the, the pay packet is different. The package is different. The reward programs are different for different 
reasons, and that is not discriminatory or less respectful. It is a recognition of the different level of a person in the organisation for what they bring and how much experience they had to go through to bring that to the organisation. For me, it's about being able to differentiate between the person and the task that they have to perform. So this is the area where I see the most problems occur when the performance of a task is not up to standard and, and there has to be some measure of disciplinary action taken perhaps, that in a supervisory role it is very difficult if you haven't differentiated those two to be able to say to someone, I still respect you, I still like you as a person, I do not like the way you are behaving all of the tasks, the way you are performing your task. So you, you need certainly you need to treat people equally as people but the tasks that they perform and their performance of those tasks is not equal. Next one. Oh, oh it's a good one. When's the best time to take holiday? <laughs> and well, some people will say, there's never a good time to take holidays. And I'll say, it's always a good time to have a holiday <laughs> because, let's face it, there's the obvious mechanical things that you have to be responsible about. You do not go when it's the busiest time of the organisation or the, your section is like you work in finance and the end of financial year, etc., etc. You manage the timing so everybody gets to go when they want to go and you manage it in a way that it suits your personal needs and your family and friends' needs. So you think about both the organisation and you and you do not try to say, well, I'm always too busy and I can't go. One thing that I really recommend nobody ever not go on holidays because they're scared about what might happen and jeopardise their job or what if things go wrong and what yeah, so, if... So that leads if. into the next question, which is what do I do if the system falls apart when I'm not there? Okay, well, maybe we could, I could just cover... Yeah. Before you go on holidays, make sure it is the right time in that sense. You're not in the middle of a crucial project and you're going to walk out halfway through it. But what you do is, whether you're a manager, whether you're a team member, whatever you've got team working for you, whatever it is, make sure that you always have a proper succession plan for short-term and long-term. So if you've got a proper succession plan, you would know that, okay, well... Mary Jane is the second in charge for that role and therefore um, she's been trained or halfway there, etc., etc., to cover for initially one, two weeks, whatever. Long term, hopefully, takes over the role. Have more than one person in that, in that category, which is always a good thing. And secondly, make sure they're backed up with all the information. Don't leave them hungry for information and give gaps before you go. Make it your policy to do it continuously anyway. We talked about knowledge um, management, etc. in other podcasts. But what's really important is to remember the person is going to be doing their best. They want to do their best and you want them to do their best, but... They haven't got your experience, that's why they're not in your job in most cases. And I always go thinking, look, if you do not panic, if you do your best and things will go wrong, they'll be like me here and I can do my best with my experience and things will go wrong. Yeah, we, it's we, how to recover. We that's talk important. about your replacement being 80% of what you are. Yeah. So, and 80% is going to get everything done to a, a fair degree. I want to just go back to the when's the best time to take a holiday. I think there's a general feeling 
that the word holiday means a particular period of time, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, whatever it is. Sometimes a holiday can just be 24 hours. Sometimes that's all you need. You just need a complete break away from mm. the pressures of what you're doing and to do something else. So I would actually look at it in terms of knowing what the word holiday means to you. So how much time do you really need to get away? We, we hear people talk about, oh, it took me a week to wind down and then you know, I only had a week's holiday and then it took me a week to get going again. Well, really, that's not being responsible about your time and your effort. You know, we're going to talk a little bit further down. There's another question about how do you switch off and how do you switch on. But I would like us all to be able to identify what holiday means and then on the understanding that you accept what you've defined as holiday time for you, the, the length of time, then you look at how that's going to fit into the framework of what the responsibilities are in, in your workplace, wherever you are. I find that quite interesting because actually I'm guilty of never thinking that short. And it is actually a very powerful tool because if you just needed two days and particularly you just finished a project or something yeah. and you've yes. been working, 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 yeah. I think that'd be excellent. But I normally thought of holidays more the longer. And so, no, that's very good. That's because you do go on long holidays. You go for months <laughs> at a time. That's because you've got to eat your way around the world. So we all know. And for me, what do I do if the system falls apart when I'm not there? First question, is it your fault that it fell apart when you weren't there? And if it's not your fault that it fell apart when you weren't there, then it's not your worry. Bottom line, you should have, as Fudana said, systems in place so that the organisation or your section or your team runs as well as it can, up to the 80% without you being there. If it falls apart, it's a matter for the team to do the analysis and tell you why it fell apart. You can't second-guess what has happened. The situation has occurred, and unless it's as a direct result of something you did or didn't do, then it's not up to you necessarily to fix it on your own. We've managed to get through six of our 20 questions, so we might take a break here, and we will continue in the next podcast. I'm Kim Bailey, she's Fuliana Osborne, and this is Inside Exec.